Stay fly, stay fly. I told them about my child molestation. I didn't hide it. Why? Because I needed to stop the curse. When you don't talk about it is when the cycle continues to happen. When he goes to make calls and it's domestic violence, he feels like it's the woman's fault. He has that mindset. He has that mindset. Oh my God. Y'all are so sweet. Y'all, I mean, he would be the sweetest thing in front of people uh, to the point he fooled my whole family. My family just thought he was the best thing walking. You're listening to the Fly Guy Show. They do everything on the fly and in such a fly manner. Stay fly, stay fly, stay fly. The views expressed by the guests are only the views of the guests. Unless we say we agree. Unless explicitly stated. <laughs> Hey, this is Ernie Thomas here on the Bold School Podcast. You're listening to Psycho Vaughner's Fly Guy Podcast. Support, like, subscribe, and share. He's saying some good things. Share it. Don't keep it to yourself. All right. Peace, beloved. Peace, beloved. Peace, beloved. It's Psycho Vaughner back with another episode of the Fly Guy Show. The uh, Fly Guy Show is a series of melanated conversations focused on improving our situation. And uh, tonight we have a very intriguing conversation. Tonight we have a very intriguing conversation. With all the issues that are happening in the United States of America surrounding police, I got involved with some discussions that talked about the challenges that our officers are having higher rates of suicide, higher rates of depression, higher rates of abuse of power, higher rates of domestic violence. Police have problems. And I'm floating around the idea that these problems may lead to some of the abuse of power problems. The suicide, the depression, the domestic violence may lead to some of the abuse of power issues that we're facing. So, on the platform today, is beautiful Queen Phoenix. What's up, Queen? Hey, how you doing? Doing great, doing great. Uh, Queen Phoenix, as you all know, is very heavily involved in the fight against domestic violence and ending domestic violence. And we also have with us tonight, a first time on the platform, Sister Natalie Purdy. What's up, Natalie? On the platform. Hi, how are you? Okay, good, good. All right, so Natalie is also involved in fighting domestic violence in the ATL area. So uh, we're going to have her talk a little longer, a little later on. But tonight we're going to talk about police have problems, suicide, depression, abuse of power. Um, so when when you heard the term or the, the title, police have problems, suicide, depression, domestic violence, what popped in your mind, Queen Phoenix? Uh, the first thing that popped in my mind is that we really need to put things in place to help the police officers. I don't believe all of them are bad, but I do believe that a lot of them use that particular job or that power to cover up a lot of other issues that they have in the background. And you do have a lot of police officers that's committing suicide. You have a lot of them that's very depressed and you have a lot of them that's angry and then they go home and take it out on their loved ones because they feel like, hey, this is the person I love the most and they'll forgive me for it later. So when I saw that, the first thing that popped in mind is what can we do to truly help our law enforcement to become better? 
because if they're the ones that's supposed to be protecting and serving our community, but they're the ones that have issues, then who's actually protecting and serving us? Good point. Good point. That's Queen Phoenix. Uh, Sister Natalie, uh, Sister Natalie is joining us from the ATL. When I shared with you the title of today's show, you know, what were some of your thoughts? My thoughts were there's so much going on right now that I do feel like all of it is tied in together with the suicide, um, with the police, um, the depression, just all that they have that they're facing right now as we rally together to try and make a change. Um, And we have to get to the root of what's going on with our officers first and foremost and how we can make that change. And a lot of it has to do with them abusing their power. And we need to talk about that and what we can do to make a change as far as getting rid of those who who are abusing the power, weeding out those bad apples. I agree. I agree. And I know that this is a difficult time for those in law enforcement, and uh, rightfully so. Rightfully so. All right, so let's start with nowhere to turn. Women say domestic abuse by police officers often goes unpunished. So, uh, Queen Phoenix, I know you have some some real life experience. Uh, so, when you see this headline, and this headline is from a news report, you know. How does this relate to your real life? Uh, how it relates to me in real life, I was actually married uh, to my ex-husband, who was a deputy sheriff. And due to the fact of his status, uh, a lot of times during our years of him being abusive to me, when I reached out or called out for help, I remember one time sitting there with a bruised up face, the police coming to my house, they realized that they knew my husband's father has been as well as a deputy and it was like oh so you're such and such son and they sat there and had a conversation while I'm sitting there with bruises on my face and nothing was done about it it was just like hey well this is a home situation Uh, it seems like that it's all settled or calmed down I feel like y'all can work it through and so it made me feel like as the person who's sitting there who was supposed to be protected, who was supposed to, who that police officer was supposed to come in and service at that time, it seemed like that he leaned more to the abuser due to the fact that the abuser was a deputy or because he was in law enforcement. And it's like, hey, we have this, they have this oath that we have to stick together and we have to protect each other. So it lets me know that there's nowhere for a victim who is dealing with either a sheriff or is married to a police officer that's beating on them, is nowhere for them to turn. Because if you do call on their fellow officers, they're going to figure out a way to cover up what their partner is doing because they have a so-called uh, pack or some, some oath that they make with each other while, you know, once they become into law enforcement. So, it was a real life situation for me to realize that it was nowhere for me to be turned turned to. And I mean, people would literally see me getting abused in the street and drive past and just be. And I'm looking like you see me screaming for help and people would literally just drive past or, hey, that's none of my business or no, we're not going to interfere. And it, it is a scary 
thing to have to live through and to realize that you have nowhere to turn or go. Wow. Wow. Um, Natalie, I know you've been helping women and abuse people, people in general, but I know in particular you've been helping women. Uh, have you heard similar stories from women who were connected to law officers? I, I have definitely heard that from a lot of women who are married to law enforcement officers. Um, and it's not just those women who are married to officers, but I've had a lot of women who stated that when they call the police, they have that mindset that it is their fault. And so they're not getting the help that they need when they do call the police because the police may just leave and not arrest that perpetrator. And so, of course, the abuse gets a lot worse in those cases. So I have definitely heard women who've been married to law enforcement, um, as soon as the police arrive and they realize that this is another fellow officer, doesn't even have to be of the same precinct, but just another person in blue, then the whole situation is handled totally different. I even had a police officer in Norfolk, um, one time we we started out we um, we would see each other often. Um, I would just always see him at his job, and once he found out what I did, he actually told me that when he goes to make calls and it's domestic violence, he feels like it's the woman's fault. He has that mind. He had that mindset before he even got to the house. He said once he got the phone call, he he as soon as he went to that house, he knew like, nope, it's her fault. And he actually believed that women cause domestic violence. Thank God he's no longer on the force anymore. Wow. In the story that we're. Wow. Your mic. Your mic. I got muted again. This young lady <laughs> said he used to say the police would protect him if I phoned up against him. He just get me put in prison. So it. So so what do we do? I know, I know that's something we're going to talk about a little later on. But both of you are saying that things that are being described in these articles are real life situations. Um, real life situations. Wow. So I know that there's a National Center for Women in Policing. Um, they said that in two studies they found that at least 40% of police officers' families experience domestic violence in contrast the 10% of families in the general population. Let me say that again. Two studies have found that at least 40% of police officers' families experience domestic violence in contrast to 10% of families in the general population. Uh, Phoenix, would that kind of hold true with the numbers you've looked up? Yes, when I actually looked up to see the difference between police officers versus just someone in the general public, doing this, it just really amazed me that if you line up 10 officers, people that are supposed to be protecting and serving, if you line up 10 of them, 
out of those 10, four of them will be beating on their wives when they get home. And that shows me that that then spills over to the abuse that we find on the street. Because if they're willing to abuse someone that's supposed to be their heart, like someone that they're supposed to love, then what does that say about someone on the street when they get a phone call and that person on the street, they feel like deserve a beat down. So I feel like that we need to put some things in place because a lot of people are using the badge as a way to get away with things that they already are doing before they get even get on the even before they become a police officer. I don't think that this stuff starts once they get the bad. I think it's something that's always been inside of them. But if we don't get them the proper, I say, evaluation before they are accepted onto the force, we're going to continue to experience the abuse, the, the, the brutal beatings that we see that police officers are doing to people on the street. I feel like are the same officers that will go home and do the same thing to a loved one. So that's what that's what we're dealing with. And the question is, when are we going to screen them properly to make sure that we're getting the right people on the force who can do the job the right way? And that's why I feel like therapy needs to come into place. They need to have proper screening. They need to look more into their background mental. Where's their mental state? How do they uh, how do they act under pressure? Because some of this stuff is because. Most of these officers don't know how to deal with pressure or stressful situations. Have we actually tested them to that extent? That's where it goes back to. We have to do our due diligence before we put them on the force. Interesting. Interesting. Um, I, I know that your book, Six Ways to Conquer Your Fears, helps women who are in abusive relationships and... One of the things that we like to do on the Fly Guy Show is deal with topics and have conversations that help solve problems. Uh, can you give me a short bit, a really short bit about your book and how it might be helpful to uh, a woman or a person who's in an abusive relationship? Yes, that book I wrote using my life experience of things that terrified me, that I was afraid of, different situations that I was in the middle of, especially my domestic violence situation. And it actually tells women the six steps that I use to draw strength, to get me to the mindset in order to leave. A lot of times people tell you to leave, but mentally you're not prepared. Mentally, you don't have the strength or the ability to do so. So most of the time you just leave because someone tells you to leave, but then you find yourself right back in the same situation, just a different person. So what I decided to do before I left my ex-husband, which I'll be honest, I was one of those uh, domestic violence victims that left and went back 15 different times uh, because of what he said. I changed. I got help. I'm not going to do it anymore. So you find yourself in this cycle that you keep going back. And what I started doing is I started documenting what exactly the things that I did that caused me to get stronger, that I had to rebuild myself. One of the things I realized about uh, abusers, their first thing that they want to do is tear you down. They want to take away your dignity. They want to take away your self-respect. And so you, it takes the strength within you where you have to rebuild yourself back up. And so in this book, it tells you the six things that I actually did to have to rebuild myself up. Of course, holding on to your faith and going to God and praying. But on top of that, letting the Holy Spirit within inside of you rebirth in you. But it also takes self-talk. 
It also takes confronting your fears, knowing that, hey, this is a fear that I have, but I'm going to face it dead on. I'm going to confront it. And believe me, in the book, it tells you when I finally confronted my ex-husband and said, hey, we're going to be Ike and Tina Turner up in here. That was the most scariest moment of my life to really go blow to blow, toe to toe with him to let him know I have found my strength. I have found my worth. I know that I do not deserve to be treated like that. And once I got that and knew who I was and and who I belonged to is when I decided to now, I had the ability to now leave. And it it all starts off with that isolation that, that they put you in. But once you find that strength, and that's what that book does, it gives you the six things that I use to help me get strong, not only get mentally strong, get spiritually strong, but then also now get the strength to walk away from the situation and not to return. So I, one thing I got to thank my ex-husband for doing, I always got to thank him and appreciate him for teaching me how to smell bullshit a mile away. Plain <laughs> and simple. It's like when they come in, I know how they dress. I know how they walk. It's like, oh no, you got to run. And that's the, because of those things, I've been able now to teach my daughter how to spot it so she won't have to go through what I experienced. Because we have to document it, ladies. We can't keep doing the same thing, expecting different results. At a certain point in time in your life, you have to wake up. You have to realize the signs and symptoms and then be able to teach somebody else how to avoid it. And that's what my platform is all about. It's now about teaching women how to identify the signs so you can avoid it. But if you're already in it, now we're here to show you how to rebuild yourself to give you the strength to now walk away. Interesting, interesting. And and Natalie, I know you've helped a lot of women in similar situations. Uh, Queen Phoenix has a book out. What are some of the steps that you work with with women when you're helping them out of their bad situations, Natalie? Um, just like Queen said, to first know that you don't deserve. Right, can't hear you. Mom. You can't, can't hear me. You. Can you hear me now? You can't hear me. You can't hear me now. Hear me now. Hear me now. Can't hear me. Can you hear me now? Technology. You can't hear me. Can you hear me now? Um. You can't hear me. Can you hear me now? I'm not sure. now? I can hear her. Is, I can hear her. She can be talking. I can hear her. Nope. You went quiet too, Queen. <laughs> so he can't hear us. Maybe it's me, Natalie. Me? I can hear you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, so Natalie, go ahead and give. Okay. <laughs> Natalie, so, give, go ahead and give your story. So for women, just to know that they don't deserve it, that they can get out. There is a, there is always hope. Don't give up. Um, and the most important thing is just to be safe. And knowing how to remove yourself from that situation. Um, a lot of times you're so tired and you may get emotional, and you want to actually tell the person that you're leaving. And that's the worst thing to do. It's, it's the most dangerous time. Just like Queen said, that it took her so many times before she left. And typically it takes a woman at least seven times before she can actually leave. And it's so many reasons why um, financially, emotionally, physically and the number one reason is fear and one of the things that a lot of us don't talk about is love you think that this person um, they the, they may be the only person that's shown you love so the love that you have for them you hope that it'll get better 
Um, so it's just important to take those steps to know how to get out, um, to make a plan. Um, you don't want to tell a lot of people that you're leaving. Um, and uh, one of the reasons you don't want to tell them is because it's possible that the perpetrator may approach them and threaten them. And they may be so fearful that they will tell where you're going or what your plan was. Not like they're trying to, to endanger you, but they may find themselves endangered as well. We see so many stories now that it's not, these perpetrators are not just killing that one person there killing anyone else who's involved who they think may be helping or has helped. We've seen where they've killed the entire families. And so it's just so important that you know that the person will not change. They won't change. So they're not going to change as much as we want to believe it. And if they do change, let that change take place with you not being there. And you can always, you know, I, you know, if, if they can really show you that they've changed, then Maybe then it's time for you to look back. But I tell you, once you leave, even if they've changed, most likely you'll find the courage not to ever go back, regardless of their change. You'll grow. You'll find strength. You'll find hope. You'll find your your voice. You'll fi- you'll find that your life is so much more better once you leave. Out of, once once you're out of the storm. And a lot of times when we get out of the storm, when we come back. We, we don't even know how we got out of the storm, but we know that it's so much better now. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Wow, wow. How would somebody who's suicidal in a position of power treat that person at home? Uh, can, it, would it be fair to say that since police officers have a higher rate of suicide, depression, and domestic violence, that that steeps into the way that those particular officers interact with the neighbors and the community. Is that safe to say? Absolutely. You, uh, you going first, Queen, or you want me to go? You can go ahead. Okay. Absolutely. Um, with them having um, suicide tendencies, a lot of times they will make their girlfriend or their wife or their spouse or whoever it is make them feel like I want to kill myself and if I do kill myself it's going to be your fault and so of course nobody wants that to happen and to have to feel that guilt so sometimes the person may even become codependent and feel like they can fix that person maybe if I do this then he won't be this way um We know that being a police officer is a stressful job. And so we may even, that may be one of the excuses that we use and say, well, I know he hits me because he has a lot of um, stress at work. Yes, Ms. Stallings, they want to isolate you from their family and friends. Another thing about the abuse and power, when you have on that uniform, you have power. And so... When it comes to the neighbors, they feel safer that they know they have a police officer next door. He may be that person that's always been there for the neighbors. He's always been there for them if they had a crime that occurred or they were going through something. So it's hard for them to see that this person is so nice and so helpful and this man in a uniform that they may turn a blind eye to the fact that he's being abusive to his wife. Um, Also, 
um, we have to we talk about suicide and depression and everything. Also, police officers have um, a high number of people that are abusing drugs. Mm-hmm. A lot of them abuse drugs, whether it's pills. Really? Yes. Mm-hmm. Whether it's pills or anything like that. Um, and you have to understand that sometimes these people are working in narcotics and sometimes they're undercover. Mm-hmm. And so they have access to the drugs. And in order to make sure that people really believe that that you're not undercover and that you're not a police officer, they have to do the drugs to almost prove themselves. Oh, I'll snort some cocaine so that you can see that I'm not undercover. And then they become addicted. And everything she said is correct because... I have to say what she said, I lived it because uh, my ex-husband was definitely suicidal. And exactly what she said is what he kept, what kept me there. Because every time that I would plan or set up things to leave, that's what he would use. It was one time that he ran off. I didn't know where he was at. And he left me a note saying, I took my gun and I'm in the woods. And if I if I kill myself, it'd be your fault because of all the stress that you added on top of, you know, what I'm experienced with my job and times that he didn't have the strength to take his own life. He pushed it off on me. He was just like, why won't you just kill yourself? It was times of arguments. He put the pill in my hand and said, why don't you just take these pills? Why won't you just die? I mean, so they push that off on you. And like she said, they're the sweetest people to outside people. To the point that when we went out in public, people thought we was the perfect couple. It was like, oh my God, y'all are so sweet. y'all. I mean, he would be the sweetest thing in front of people uh, to the point he fooled my whole family. My family just thought he was the best thing walking. You know, he because my my uh, grandfather was a preacher, he learned Bible scriptures and could quote more scriptures than anybody that you know. Why? Because he wanted to bring my family on his side. So therefore, if I did go to them and say, hey, this is what's happening, it would be something unbelievable because it's like, well, hold on. That's not the person I see. That's not the person that I see uh, when when y'all are together. But behind closed doors, this is what's happening. So, yeah, when they when they are suicidal or depressed, what they do, they take it out on that person or make that person feel like I'm this way because of you. I'm not the one with the problem. It's you. And that's my that was really my life story. And it's like if you try to leave, they make you feel guilty that whatever happens to them is your fault because you just you're deciding to leave me. You're deciding to abandon me. And and so you you feel yourself in this rock and a hard pot space. And it's right. It's due to the fact that you do love them. It's like, hey, this is the, the first the man that I met, the man that I fell in love with. You now turn into a monster, but you feel like, hey, if I just hang in there, if I just pray, if I just continue to show him support, the old him, the one that I fell in love with, will always come back. And he never do. He never do. And I'm here to tell you, ladies, they do not change. I don't care. Even if they go to another woman, if they never got help, if they never got therapy, guess what? That other woman is going to go through what you went through. Because they're still the same person. That person that's inside of them is still there and it's still going to come out. Something is going to trigger something. And and I'm just here to tell you guys, get out. That's why my book is there. That's why I have the Phoenix Rise, Rise movement. I'm here to tell you I'm a woman that's been there. I know how it feels 
to say, hey, I'm trapped. You want to leave, but you keep coming back. I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to judge you, but I will give you the tools that you need to get the strength up and to find your worth. So when you leave, you can stay gone, but it will take time. So I'm not saying it's going to be a rush thing. It will take time. But with Phoenix Rise Movement, I'm here to say we're here in that battle with you. We have people that has been where you've been. We've made it out with our lives. I do not want you to be another statistic of a woman that does not make it out alive. It's a lot of us that don't make it out alive. So the ones that survive, we're here for you to show you how we survived it. Wow. Wow. I'm so glad that you did survive it. Uh, I also wanted to show that it's interesting that Officer Noor from Minneapolis was jailed for 12 and a half years for the accidental murder um, of the young lady uh, from, was she from Russia? I think, yeah, this lady, you know, this young lady, he's in jail for 12 years. And if I remember the story correctly, she walked up to him. He was shocked. He was surprised. And he fired. She died. He's in jail for 12 years. Interestingly enough, there was no wait or delay when they were trying to decide if if they were going to arrest him. There was no wait and delay if they decided they want to charge him. <laughs> you know, the things that we're dealing with now seem to go a lot quicker when you know, Officer Noor made his decision. And so when I heard about this story, it made me wonder, you know, I don't know a lot about his background, but do you think that there might be some PTSD, some post-traumatic stress disorder things that are impacting our officers? Because they're dealing with a lot of stressful situations. And a hair trigger, I mean, just a surprise, you know, something like this can happen. And, you know, in Atlanta, you're an ATL, you know, Natalie, there was an officer that killed, shot a person running just a few days ago. So do you think that PTSD, uh, whether it's from the military time or other things that have happened in their lives, may play a part with our officers and their challenges with depression, suicide, domestic violence, and on the streets, abuse of power? What do you think, Natalie? I do think that um, many of them suffer from PTSD, but not to use that as an excuse, um, because some of them are not suffering. They just are evil. And so there is a difference. There's some that (laughs) they, it's true. It's some that they have, um, they may have mental issues that they never seek help from. They may be on the force and it may have been that they were in the line of fire before and never got the the correct, adequate amount of help that was needed. Um, for example, they may have saw the psychiatrist through the police department, but how many times did they see that person? Did you just visit them for once or twice, just enough to be cleared, and then you went right back out there? So, yeah, you might be a little fearful and quick on the trigger. Um, but like I said, and I think that could have been um, Officer Noor. I think that could have been the circumstances with him. But then you do have some that 
they had plenty enough time to think about what they were doing and they just shot. And I think that's what happened day before yesterday here in Atlanta with the police officer um, that shot the guy as he was running away and shot him in the back. So there is a difference, but I do believe that a lot of them do suffer from PTSD and they're not getting the mental health that they need. And um, just like Queen Phoenix said, a lot of them are not getting it in the beginning before they're even on the force. Some of them are not getting it while they're before they even join. These, some a lot of them should have never even been accepted on the police force. And then let's not even talk about the ones who have been on another police force, got fired, and just move along. Um, there was one police officer. He he had only been on the force for like 13 years or something like that, and he had already been through so many different departments already, like. You didn't just move and transfer. You got fired from each one. And these and somebody looked out for you and said, oh, no, he got fired over here because there was a shooting. And but it wasn't he said it wasn't his fault. And the way he explained it, we understood. And we actually been having a lot of problems and we don't have anyone like him on our force. And because he is the way he is, actually, I would like that guy on this force. I like his values. I like what he stands for. I like that he's not scared. And they hire him. And then he does something and he makes them look bad. And they know they had a lawsuit. And then they transfer him somewhere else. And they might even, and then the next transfer might not fire him. It's going to be a transfer, and I'm going to sign off on it that this is a good guy, and you're lucky to get him, and you should hire him and send him on over there while the smoke clears over here. Wow, you said, I like that, you know, the, the person who's doing the hiring might think, I like that he's not scared exactly. that this officer will rush into danger. This officer will take chances. Uh, that's and to be honest with you, I would want an officer. I would want a person in the military who's not scared. Yeah. But but then it goes. Oh man! Mm-hmm. You say, oh, he has a good military background. But, then, but you know, then about Deborah Berry. <laughs> Her comment that Officer Nor feared for his life, feared for his life. And too many times we hear that officers um, shoot, you know, take somebody's life because they feared for their life, which is kind of crazy if they're being hired for being fearless. But they're not super, they're, they're not superheroes. They're human. They're human. And so he's going in a dark alley and maybe he never even had that before or maybe he did before. And again, that's where PTSD comes into place. Maybe before someone got his gun, he didn't. Maybe he he lived through it. He didn't get shot. But the fear of he's had somebody that's been able to control him physically or put a gun to his head or something like that. So all of those things may have been going through his mind and him not realizing that she was coming up on him, he just jumped and first thing he did was he shot. 
you know, that's totally different from where we hear from some of the officers that are doing police brutality and you have the upper hand and you still shoot the person. And then you want to use the cover up that you fear for your life. And that's totally different. But there are some officers that, yes, we think, well, you took the job, but that does not mean that they don't have the fear. And that does not mean that they don't come across people that are not scared to die and that their mission is to shoot a police officer. So there is a difference, you know. Yeah, there's a big difference. And you can tell the difference when you look at the videos, the ones who have PTSD and the ones who just doing it because they're getting a kick out of it. So this is where the, I do feel like that people, that cops who have been in that uh, situation where they had had to pull their gun or had a gun pulled on them, this is where we need to have therapists at each precinct where they can decompress. They need to have someone there that after every situation that's been stressful or traumatizing, they need somewhere where they can decompress. Someone can walk them through it. Someone can help them through it. Because a lot of these times, they come from a big job like that they come from a shooting, they come from guns being fired at them, and they don't have anyone that helps them decompress, they don't have anyone to help them talk them through it and now they go home. And guess who has to put up with that? The wife has to put up with it. The kids has to put up with it. That that's, that trauma is not only spills from the job, but now they're taking that trauma back home. And then sometimes that trauma triggers them when they have to discipline their kids. And you wonder why we got child abuse. And then from that child abuse, that child grows up and feel like, hey, that's the norm. So now we got abuse on top of abuse on top of abuse. When is the cycle going to stop? When are we going to realize that our officers need to have therapy and it's not against, you know, it's not something to say crazy. It's not something to say, hey, because you're talking to a therapist, you have issues. It's something that's really important that needs to happen in order for us to fix this situation. Wow. Wow. Um, I, I, I feel for I feel for those who have to deal with these suicidal feelings and depression and for those who have to struggle through domestic. And of course, I'm just incensed about the abuse of power, which is one of the things that we're working on now. And I really salute the protesters. Uh, you are making a difference. I remember when people were saying stuff like, I ain't going back out in the street. That stuff never worked. It doesn't do anything. That stuff died in the 60s. And to see that the younger crowd decided that they were going to take power into their own hands. You know, power isn't given, it's taken. And I love to see that some of these um, measures of police reform are happening. Now, I'm not a big person on police reform personally. I think it's simple. If a civilian kills a police officer, murder, murder one, two or three, whatever the appropriate one is. If a police officer kills a civilian, murder one, two or three. If it's equal, then we don't have to have extra training. (laughs) You know, you'll see that these problems just kind of and I might be wrong. But in the absence of consequences, problems will continue. And these problems of abuse of a power, abuse of power, have continued in the absence of consequences. So um, let's go after those officers who slain and murdered 
uh, Breonna Taylor. Um, you know, let, let, let's let's pull back all of those situations and make sure that all of those who are responsible are held responsible. If I take custody of somebody, they're supposed to be safe. Because if I take custody of a child and that child gets hurt, I go to jail. So if a police officer takes custody and that person gets hurt, they go to jail. I, I think it could be that simple, but I might be a little too simplistic. Last words. We want to make sure that the people who are in... Well, before we do the last words, uh, I want to ask Natalie, does this happen with female officers? Is there suicide, depression, domestic abuse with female officers? Yes. Yes. Female officers um, have even more of a suicide and depression rate just as much as the men because it's a male-dominant career. And so they have a lot to deal with as far as um, female officers also have to deal with sexual harassment on the job as well as off the job. And so a lot of times they have to deal with that. And even though we know that um, female officers have guns and that they are police, police, you know, police officers, they also experience domestic violence at home because sometimes you have that man that feels inferior the fact that she is an officer. And so he may feel intimidated and want to gain that power and control. Hmm. Queen Phoenix. How do we help the female officers? Well, with helping the females, like she said, it is a higher risk when it comes to females being depressed as well as suicidal because they're getting it from both ends. They have, you know, in a male dominant career, most females are not really accepted. So it's just like, okay, you, you're here, so we're going to treat you any type of way. So they have to deal with it, and they really can't even go to their superior officer and talk about it without them being criticized or or saying well hey you chose this career and it's just not in law enforcement it's even females who go into the military it's a lot of sexual abuse and sexual assault that women have to deal with or put up with when they in a male dominant career or around men and in order for them to get help it's gonna take the counseling it's gonna take people to stand up and have a voice and to speak up on their behalf because they can't do it because if they do it, then it's jeopardizing their job. It, 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 and if they got kids at home that they have to support. And sometimes these women are single women with kids. And so it's a lot of things that they are, are pushed, that's pushed on them. And they just have to sit there and deal with. But again, if it's therapists and precincts that can help, that people can go and talk to without being looked at as uh, you shouldn't do that or you're crazy or you can't handle this, you can't handle that. People don't realize that therapist is the best thing. Therapy is the best thing for a lot of people. Some people need a person that they can trust and just go and talk to that can understand them and give them a better way to get through certain situations. But holding all that in and most of the time, as we know, women, 
we hold a lot of emotion in because we feel like, hey, I have to deal with the kids. I have to deal with the husband. I have to deal with the job. So we're like that strong vessel that, hey, we don't have time to complain. We can get off a nine to five and get home and we still got a second job we got to do, which now is taking care of the kids, taking care of the household. We don't have that break. And this is where we need a releasing point. We need somewhere to go to be able to release everything that we're holding inside. And so that's what my recommendation to help these women is giving them somewhere to go, to talk to, to release, but no, it's safe. That is, they're not going to be judged. They're not going to be put down. They're not, they, they're experiencing that already, but they need somewhere to go where someone can now be able to lift them up. Someone can now speak life into them and give them the strength to go back and handle the pressure that they're already handling. Because believe me, I got, I got to get hats off to the Queens. I mean, we deal with a lot. <laughs> And we're constantly dealing with it. And, you know, just to just be able, I say, sisterhood, we need to come together so we got shoulders to cry on before we go post them. <laughs> but that's what I would say. We need that safe zone. We do need that safe zone for us to come together and give that support. <laughs> All right. Uh, wow. Wow. Last words. Last words. Natalie, uh, Tell us your last words, your last thoughts for tonight, or maybe give some direction to some of the um, people who might be watching. What are some of the last thoughts you have to end tonight? Ooh, I have so many thoughts. We got to end it already. Um, I would say part of the change that we really need to make with our police, it's just, um, it's like an onion. We have so many layers that we need to peel as far as um, suicide, as far as the drugs, we really, i it's almost like we need to clean house. We need to, if it takes us having to not have as many people on the force, but whatever we have to do in order to tackle the main issues that's hindering them from doing their job pro- properly. Um, I wanted to bring up something I didn't get a chance to say, and I'm sure Queen can attest to this. When it comes to police officers with domestic violence, if you ever do get to the point that you are able to report them being abusive, there is an investigation, but during that investigation, they keep, get to keep their weapon. And so they shouldn't be able to keep their weapons. And there's been so many circumstances where during that investigation, um, just, I believe it was two years ago, a police officer in Connecticut killed the whole entire family during the investigation of domestic violence. Um, So I just think that we need to make sure that we understand what the main causes are for the depression, getting them help for the PTSD, Um, those who have more mental issues that are deeper rooted we need to get them off the force and there needs to be that you cannot go and transfer to another force you can't go to another precinct period once you're done with one there's no second chances there's no coming back especially when you're found that it was a murder you should not or you've been using excessive force and you have all of these complaints you have all of these investigations we need to cut it they need they can't go anywhere else you're gonna have to find a new profession 
and Walmart is always hiring. Um, and so, and the same thing with domestic violence. Say, <laughs> <laughs> go stop making me laugh. With domestic <laughs> All right, now I'm scared to go to Walmart. <laughs> okay, maybe we don't need them in Walmart. <laughs> maybe we don't need them in Walmart. But um, also with domestic, Phoenix. <laughs> with domestic violence, again, if they've been found guilty, they need to be removed from the force. No ifs, no ands, no buts. And they, they should not be able to go to another police force either. Okay, okay. Queen Phoenix. Um, oh, man. Queen Phoenix always brings the heat. Her Phoenix Rise movement is one of the reasons that the Fly Guy Show is here because they bring solutions. They bring solutions. They bring solutions. So, uh, QP, Queen Phoenix, last words. Yes, I just want to say that this topic right here is something that shouldn't just be talked about one time it needs to be ongoing uh, I have several friends uh, that actually work the domestic violent unit uh, one is down in North Carolina and another one is actually right here in Virginia and to hear what they experience when those calls come in and what those those victims go through. Because I'm not going to just say that it's just women. I honestly feel like that it's men out there that's going experiencing domestic violence as well. And to hear those calls come through and what these people deal with on a daily basis is why we need to really make sure that part of this reform, I know that part of the police reform, they're putting in taking away chokeholds. They're putting in certain things that causes uh, death to a person once you have them in custody. But we also need to make sure that we're putting something in place to help them with their mental issues. They are experiencing trauma every day that they're out there in the streets protecting and serving and they have nowhere to go to talk about that trauma. You have to think about even a kid that experienced a death at an early age. That's trauma. And if you don't get that child counseling to learn how to deal with that trauma, it goes to them into their adulthood. And this is what's happening with our police officers. Every day they're experiencing different types of trauma that is never actually been taken care of or handled. They're never getting help or assistance for it. And now they have to go back into it again, back into it again. And we're just overlooking it. It even goes back to the women that's on the on the force. Yes, they need to have that support so they can have the strength to go to their superior, to go to report when sexual harassment is going on. We need to take things and put them in place. We can't talk about it now. We now need to be able to provide the solutions. And this is where the platform of Queen Phoenix Movement is in place. We're here to give you guys solutions. Not only are we there for the victims, we're also there for the family members, people who want to know how to help a, a person that's been uh, abused. Maybe you want to know how to talk to them, how to encourage them. It's not about judging them and telling them, girl, if it was me and he he hit me, I've been gone by now. Sometimes it's not that way. So we only we also talk to family members and friends and give them tools on what they can say and what they can do to help the person that's in the middle of this violent situation, how you can truly be a support, how you can truly give them the strength to now eventually get out. 
So this is everything that we put in place. We're going to have training videos. We're going to have talks about this. Things that people don't want to talk about. Oh, we're going to talk about it. Because I am at the point that it stems from at home first. And we want to not talk about it. Domestic violence is even sexual assault with children at home. Domestic violence is just not adults. It's kids and what they're experiencing. And then it eventually goes to their adulthood. We need to start hitting this at the root to now create a change. If we don't do that and we keep sweeping it under the rug, I mean, if you look at the statistics on how many kids have been child has been sexually abused, molested by their real father, by an uncle, by a friend of the mom's, and nothing is ever dealt with, and now that child goes into adulthood, those are the majority of the women that find themselves in a domestic violence situation. Why? Because they lost their self-worth. Because their worth, they felt like, was stripped from them as a child. Their their innocence was taken from them as a child. So we have to go back to the root if we want to fix this. And we have to be able to have those talks that parents don't want to talk about. We got to be able to expose and pull back the cover on the stuff that's the ugly of the ugly. And let's talk about it. And let's just be for real about it. Because we have generational curses that keeps hitting us because we're not having that talk. It's time to have a talk. I was a victim of it. Instead of me not telling my kids about it, I told them about my child molestation. I didn't hide it. Why? Because I needed to stop the curse. When you don't talk about it is when the cycle continues to happen. It's time for you to take back your voice. Be okay to talk about the the shameless things. Be okay to talk about the hardest things because why? That's where healing starts taking place. It starts with the serious talk. So can we have some real talk? Wow, real talk, real talk, Queen Phoenix. Uh, those were those were some heavenified last words. <laughs> she went in. She went in. You've been listening to and watching the Fly Guy Show, which is a series of melanated conversations focused on improving our collective situation based upon the empowerment agenda. So share this video help people get along, help people get into healthy situations. We need to do this for our children's children's children. That's what we're looking for. For our children's children's children. That's what we're marching for. For our children's children's children. We wanted to make sure our children's children's children would have a better situation. And that's what we're doing. Stay to the fight. Stay to the march. Stay to the protest, stay to the you know, I, I don't want to say stay to the riots but I know that everything changed once that police precinct was on fire um, stick to the fight stay fly stay fly stay fly stay fly, stay fly stay fly, stay fly stay fly, stay fly stay fly, stay fly the views expressed by the guests are only the views of the guests. Unless we say we agree. Unless explicitly stated. Stay fly, stay fly, stay fly, stay fly, stay fly. Stay conscious. Stay fly.